Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. As you heard, my name is Sean, and especially if it's your first time today, I hope that you've made, been made to feel especially welcome and, and at home. Uh, we're in the middle of going through the book of Acts, which is the story of the, the early church, and we've reached the stage where the Apostle Paul is now on his third missionary journey, and he's landed up in the city of Ephesus, where he's been for, for about two years at this point in the story. And last week, Timor did a great job speaking about Jesus is the only Mararaka, exactly. It was fantastic. Jesus is the only true authority and power. And he spoke about how we saw this play out in the city of Ephesus, this thriving metropolis in Asia Minor, modern-day uh, Turkey. And he spoke about this bizarre story of the sons of Sceva, who were using the name of Jesus, kind of like a formula to try and drive out demons. But it backfired, and they got beaten up and sent running butt naked and bruised by a demon-possessed man. It doesn't say butt naked. Thank you. Correction. That's why we have elders in the front row. So what we did see, though, that out of this bizarre event, the name of Jesus was held in even higher honor, and there was this beautiful scene of people who had worshipped idols and sorcery in the city coming in public repentance, genuine repentance, and burning their, their scrolls and incantations. And so the kingdom of God advanced. Now, here's a test for you, because I know you were listening carefully. Timur used the letters of the word Madaraka for an acronym in his sermon. Now, I'm not going to go easy on you on the test, because there are four A's in Madaraka. But I'd like to see, does anyone remember, what was the first A in Madaraka in Timon's sermon? Wow, Herman, phenomenal. That is German efficiency at its best, everyone. <laughs> Authentic faith, I love that. Actually, authenticity is one of our values here at One Tribe. We, we don't wanna put on a show. We don't wanna put on a mask. We want the real deal. We want authentic faith. And maybe you're here today and, and you haven't even quite made up your mind about Christianity. Maybe you've got some real objections to what you think Christianity is. Well, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, the book of Acts is a great place to look because there is probably no other place in Scripture that gives a clearer picture of what authentic Christianity looks like. And today we're going to focus on what happens when authentic faith, the authentic gospel of Jesus, encounters idols. We're going to look at the gospel versus idols. So on one side of the ring, we've got gospel. And on the other side of the ring, we've got idols. And in this boxing match, there is no draw. There is no decision by points. There is only victory by knockout. Only one of them can be left standing. So let's open up God's Word to the book of Acts, and we're going to be reading from chapter 19, verse 23. About this time, there arose a great disturbance around about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers and related trades, and said, you know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. 
and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Now, there is a danger that not only our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message, begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of them did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed forward Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have any grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to give an account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. And after this, he dismissed the assembly. That's our reading today from God's Word. But let's get to grip a little bit with the context here. Last week, we read that Paul is actually led by the Spirit, about to move on from his time in Ephesus. He says that he wants to continue now to go to Jerusalem, but after that, his sights are set on Rome, where he wants to bring the gospel uh, to the capital of the empire. But before he goes, we read that there's a great disturbance that, uh, that arises um, because of the way, the gospel that he's preaching. And it all starts with this silversmith called Demetrius, who gets grumpy about the threat of the gospel to his business of making shrines for the goddess Artemis. Now, Artemis was a big deal, not only in Ephesus, but in the surrounding region. And as we heard last week, the temple of Artemis, I've got a picture of it here, was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because of its magnificent size and pillars and artwork. 
So all these visitors would come to Artemis to see the temple and to worship the goddess. And Demetrius and his colleagues had made a thriving business out of selling little statues of the goddess herself or of the temple that these tourists could take back to their personal shrines. Now, Paul's teaching over the past two years apparently had started to to impact even the economic realities of the city, especially those that were associated with Artemis and the temple. Now, I can't imagine that Demetrius, as an idol maker, spent a lot of time hanging around listening to Paul's teachings. But even he knew how to summarize a key part of Paul's teachings. He said that this man is telling everyone that man-made gods are no gods at all. You see, he knew that whenever Paul preached the gospel, he said this gospel is incompatible with idolatry. This gospel is opposed to idolatry. And friends, if that was the authentic gospel that Paul was preaching, and if he always preached that wherever he went, we saw it in Acts 17, where he preached in Athens. He said, you've got many gods, but I'm telling you about the creator of all the earth, who is not made by human skill and design. And that's what Paul preached. That's what we've got to preach in One Tribe today. And so we're going to unpack this theme of the gospel versus idolatry under three headings. Number one, idols are common. Number two, idols are confusing. And number three, idols are costly. Firstly, idols are common. You may be thinking, Sean, that may have been true in Ephesus, but it's not true today. I mean, we don't have little shrines in our houses with little statues of goddesses and and temples and, and things like that. We live in a Christian nation. We've got a church on every corner of our city. I want to honor um, Tim Keller, uh, who was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church for many years in New York. He passed away just a few weeks ago. And I've really been helped by Tim Keller's teaching on idolatry and, and even on this passage. And Tim would say, if you live in a city like New York, or if you live in a city like Nairobi, and you think it has no idols, then you are horribly naive. You're in denial. You see, the people of Ephesus, of the Greco-Roman world, they had a god for everything. They had a goddess of fertility. They had a god of wine. They had a goddess of, of agriculture. They were overt about something that we are subvert about. Is that even a word? I don't know. I don't think so. They were explicit about something that we are implicit about. They were obvious about something that we kind of live in denial of. And that that truth is that idols are common. Everybody worships something. And an idol is anything that we worship instead of God. It's anything that we functionally look for, look to, for our security, for our identity, for our hope, for our meaning, for our purpose, ultimately for our salvation. It's anything that you look to and you say, hey, actually, ultimately, if I can just have that, if I can hold on to that, then I know I'm going to be okay. And when that thing takes the ultimate position in your heart above God, it becomes an idol. 
And it means that you'll do anything to hold on to it. And guys, this is not just bad things, right? Like drugs. This can be good things, like family. If good things become ultimate in our lives, they become our God. They become our idol. There were idols everywhere in the city of Ephesus, not just the obvious ones that Demetrius and his friends were making. Let's look at some of those idols together. We'll do a whistle-stop tour, and we'll just see how does Ephesus stack up to the city of Nairobi. So Demetrius, very cleverly, he kind of plays to this this religion card. But really, that's just a cover-up for the real idol that Demetrius is worshiping. Listen to the first thing that he says to his colleagues in verse 25. You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. You see, he was worshiping the idol of money and financial security. This is the idol that gets Demetrius angry. He's a worshiper of money. Now, I want you to know that if you want to know what the idols of a city are, a great place to look is what's trending on social media, what's capturing people's attention. And if you have any doubt about whether the idol of money and financial success is an idol in this city, then maybe you haven't heard about the Mike Sonko Challenge. The Mike Sonko Challenge. We're not going to play it because it's not family viewing, but there is a picture of what it looks like on YouTube. This is a challenge that I think it was Eric Omondi, the comedian, kind of launched on social media in response to our esteemed politician, Mike Sonko, going online in the month of May and bragging about the millions of shillings and dollars that he's got stashed away at his house. Another example of this on social media is a meme that someone sent to me this week as I did some research that's on social media. It says this, I've got 99 problems and money would solve 83 of them. We love memes in Nairobi. They speak to our hearts. The idol under all of this in Nairobi is the idol of money that says, if you just had more money, if you were just financially secure, then you would be okay. Then you would be happy. Then you would have all you need to spend on those pleasures and comforts that are really going to satisfy you. That's how you are going to become somebody. And so you need to make this the number one thing in your life. And you must do whatever it takes to get a hold of that money. Link closely to the idol of money. Demetrius worships the idol of business and career. And friends, I'm a businessman. I I understand how this can get into the heart of Demetrius. Actually, a lot of the business that I'm involved with is in the tourism industry. And Demetrius is kind of in the tourism industry. You know, he was selling these souvenirs to people who were coming as tourists to the temple of Artemis, one of the great seven wonders of the ancient world. And it got me thinking about another one of the wonders of the world that I'm a little bit more familiar with. And that's this wonder of the world, Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. What a place. What a place. One of the seven wonders of the natural world. And, and, and it doesn't, it's not a temple that worships a god, but I think why I thought of this is it does have a god that's associated with it. That little statue there is Nyamanyami. He's the god, the river god of the Zambezi. And craftsmen in Victoria Falls 
craft this guy into necklaces and into little statues, and tourists buy it and go away. But it's not the only business around tourism in Vic Falls. There are hotels, there's transport, there, there's a host of adventure activities there. There's, there's helicopter rides, there's whitewater rafting, that's my favorite, and then there's bungee jumping. And this is a picture of Tesney and I, could have been taken yesterday, I know. We look the same. And that's us in Victoria Falls. And I was driving overland safari trucks at that time. And I invited Tesney, who was just a university friend. She was actually the sister of my best friend at university. We weren't dating. But I did know that chicks dig safari guides. So I invited her to come with me. And this is us on Victoria Falls Bridge about to jump, bungee jump. Now, guys, I want you to know that this was a moment where Tesney was terrified, absolutely terrified. But I showed her what a real man is like, and I walked up to the end of that bridge, and without hesitation, I jumped. And I literally had to drag her with me. Don't let her tell you anything otherwise <laughs> after this. <laughs> but I started thinking to myself, as I read through the story in, in Acts 19, okay, we do some business in Victoria Falls, what if all of our business was in Victoria Falls? What if that was the only business I did? I'm actually going there in a few weeks for work, but, but what if everything was there and something came along that threatened that business? What if the government of, government of Zimbabwe and all of its wisdom said, we're gonna build a dam in the gorge that's gonna flood Victoria Falls? Or what if there was some propaganda that came out that said, hey, Ebola is breaking out in Victoria Falls, and that threatened my one and only business, guys, I would stand up and fight. That would be my natural response. And, and the, the craftsmen who, who, who carve out Nyam and Yami, they would be there with me rioting in the streets of Victoria Falls. And guys, the scary thing is, as I thought about this and I looked to my heart, I thought, man, that could, have easily, that could easily go from kind of a healthy determination to a crazed desperation to hold on to that business that maybe I'm starting to worship. For those of us who are building businesses or even just building careers, Demetrius does the exact opposite of what we are called to do as kingdom people in the marketplace. First of all, because business is his idol, he grips it onto it with both hands and he says, this is mine. No one can take it away from me, not even God. You see, he sees business ownership as his, whereas we're called to hold it with open hands as stewards. Demetrius uh, also is willful instead of faithful. This is something some of us learned in the faith-driven entrepreneurship course that we did last year in the church here. This idea of us as Christians, we're, we're called to be faithful in the careers, the businesses that we're involved with. We're called to bring all of our energy, all of our talent, all of our enthusiasm to be excellent and to, to declare and proclaim the kingdom of God in those spaces. We're called to be faithful, but we're not called to be willful. We're not called to strive on our own. We're not called to strain as if this all depends on me and I have to make it work. Instead of being faithful in our work and trusting God with the results. Lastly, we see that Demetrius is, is not kingdom-minded in his business because he doesn't care about the, the impact his product has on people. He's selling a phony. He's, he's willing to exploit people for his own profit. 
And guys, as kingdom people in the marketplace, we got to make sure that our work is a blessing to the people who pay us. And most businesses are. Most businesses are solving a problem. They're making the world a better place. But as Christians, when it comes to the point that our products are actually causing damage to the people we're serving, we've crossed a line that we can't cross as followers of Christ. Next up, next idol we see Demetrius prodding and provoking is the idol of status and reputation. You see, he says here, if we don't do something about this gospel, our trade will lose its good name. You see, in Ephesus, just like in Nairobi, people make idols of their status and their reputation. That's why we get obsessed with social media, media um, challenges. That's why we get obsessed with how many followers we have, what are the likes that we get. Guys, we idolize our social status. We base our sense of worth and identity on the way that society sees us. And this can so easily drift into kind of a, a sub-idol of self-improvement. And we think, hey, if I can just notch up my status a bit in the world, then I'm going to be okay. Then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be satisfied. Another meme that someone sent to me this week, if we can put it up on the screen, it's all about self-improvement. You're on the edge. There's a chasm. You need to make the, the jump, make the leap of faith to be who you want to be. Get to where you want to get. I, I thought this was interesting because it reminded me of a picture that we actually use for the gospel, which if you put them side to side, you can see that the, what they've done with the first meme is they've just taken Jesus out the picture. They said, hey, if you want to be saved, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be who you really want to be, then just you can do it with your own strength. You can get there. It totally excludes the cross. This idea that actually the only way to be saved is through Jesus. So there's the idol of, of status and reputation, but Demetrius moves on swiftly, and he goes on to the idol of patriotism, or you could even call it tribalism. The pride and the meaning that the people of Ephesus got from their city and being in Ephesian. He says, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. That temple which was the symbol of the pride and the fame of the city. We see this patriotism later coming out as ethnic hatred. When this poor guy Alexander is pushed to the front by the rest of the Jews. Now, he, he probably wasn't a, a disciple. They wanted him to actually stand up and distance the Jews from the gospel that Paul was, was spreading. But when he stands up and they realize, hey, this guy's a Jew. He's a monotheist. That means he worships one God. He, he's not interested in our, in our Artemis. They couldn't stomach him. And they started shouting over him. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The Ephesians idolized their culture, traditions, and it made them furious when it came under threat. We can do the same. Whatever tribe we find our identity in, whether that's uh, our family, an ethnic group, a social group, or even a religious group, we need to ask ourselves, have we, have we elevated that love for that group of people and being part of that group of people to an unhealthy place in our life where even it sits above God himself? The last piece of Artemis' propaganda to defend his business lands on the idol of religion. And he now argues, actually, guys, the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
Guys, religious idols are powerful because they can give you license to go to extremes if you are defending something that you are saying is divine. And if you worship religious idols, you base your life on them. And when they come under threat, you can't afford to lose them. There's nothing else to stand on. And so you'll fight with all your might to hang on to them. We still have religious idolatry today in Nairobi. Some people worship false gods. Some people worship ancestors. Some people say, hey, can I worship Jesus and ancestors? But we'll see later that the gospel of Jesus, proclaimed authentically by Paul, doesn't allow for that. You know, a lot of our religious idolatry today in a Christian nation like Nairobi can even be done in the name of, of Christianity. You know, when we start to actually worship things like good deeds or spiritual performance and practices or, or, or a spiritual leader or the success of a ministry, even these, these things that have a Christian name tag, when you expose them in the light of the true gospel, come up as phony and fake if you're basing your salvation and your security on whether you do them or don't do them, or whether you do them well. Jesus says, the Bible says, that only He can save you by grace alone and through faith alone. Artemis was also the goddess of fertility, and her festivals were characterized by sexual immorality and orgies. And this brings me to another idol I want to highlight in the city of Nairobi. Can you believe we get to talk about this stuff in church? The idol of sex and romance. So I was doing my research this week, and luckily we've got a resident musicologist in our midst, Inderitu Kiragu. And so uh, Inderitu said something to me that made a lot of sense. He said, Sean, you know that music is the mirror of society. If you want to know what's going on in society, listen to the tunes that it's listening to. Now, admittedly, Inderitu, he likes classical music, so he's not as up to speed as you think he would be with, with the latest beats. But he said, actually, he was having a conversation with some friends the other day about the tunes that were, that were in vogue, and he said, you know, there's one song that him and his friends agreed. This really sums up Nairobi. It's called Nairobi. It's by Ben Sol, and if I translated the words that we were going to listen to, a rough translation is this. Nairobi, the one that gives you, and they give me too. What she brings for you, she brings for me too. They take money for transport, but we all share. It's very scary, Nairobi. I saw an article in the Star newspaper that summed it up and said that this song is all about Nairobi being a shared bedroom. Apparently, the inspiration for the song came from a friend of Ben Sol who was talking to him on the phone and saying, I can't believe it. I found out my girlfriend's been cheating on me, sleeping around. And Ben Sol's reaction was, hey, I'm sorry, but just remember where we are. It's Nairobi. I've even heard about on social media feeds this idea of body counts. It's like a competition. How many sexual partners can you brag about having. So underneath this sexual immorality is an idol, an idol of sex that says, hey, your worth, your success, your beauty, you being okay is dependent on 
having a lot of sex with a lot of people. That's how you'll know you're okay. And this is an idol that can, even if you aren't sleeping around, it can trap you in pornography, it can trap you in lustful fantasies. Idolizing sex in marriage can lead you to be kind of manipulative of your partner in an unhealthy way. It can make you selfish in your sex life. This is one idol for various reasons. It's traditionally associated with men, right? But guys, women are not immune to this idol of sex either. We all need to stand on God against the idol of sex, and we need to be vigilant and ruthless with it in our lives. Of course, outside of sexual immorality, we can still make an idol of romance, right? You can still say, hey, I'm okay as long as I have that one person at my side. As long as I've got my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife, I'll be okay. It's been said that when we make a person our God, our expectations will destroy them, and their imperfections will destroy us. So I hope we're getting a flavor for the idols that were in the city of Ephesus, the idols that are in the city of Nairobi. There's one more I want to talk about in Nairobi, and that's the idol of drugs and alcohol. Indurita and Glory again were helpful here. And guys, I must say, they did say to me, oh, we feel very strange sending these links to our pastor. So I appreciate their courage. But there was a couple of songs there that I thought were quite illuminating. One was by Ndovu Ku called Kishash. Do you guys know that one? Well, how come you guys know that one? What are you listening to out there? This, this song in the chorus, it basically just sings over and over again, a lot of weed at the party, a lot of weed at the party. But there's these quite interesting words in the intro verse. It says, I'm boring, but I'm in high demand. If depression kicks in, I'll just burn some more weed. Another one called Furaha by Iani says, joy is in being with friends. Joy is in getting drunk with friends. Guys, weed, vaping, alcoholism, these are things in the people our, our city looks to, to be happy, to save them. But they never satisfy. So idols are common. I hope we've got that picture. But we also see in this passage that idols are confusing. They cause great confusion and chaos in the city of Ephesus, and they do it still here today in the city of Nairobi. Can I have some water? Cheers. Sorry. And the reason why they cause confusion and chaos, right? Thank you. Um, is because I think what <laughs> wonderful, wonderful service. I just wish you had been braver on that bridge. <laughs> so one of the reasons why they cause chaos and confusion, I think Tim Keller was right, was he said because they are both powerful and powerless. What does that mean? Well, they're powerful on one hand, because when they grip a hold of your heart and you think this is the ultimate thing in my life, they are so powerful because you will do anything not to lose them. They're also powerful because although they are lifeless, behind them is the work of the enemy and demonic forces because the devil will do anything to get us to worship anything other than Jesus and to trap us in that destructive pattern. So they're powerful, and we see that in the passage. We see that this crowd goes nuts. They're powerful enough to cause a riot. But power, idols are, are also powerless. 
Where do we see that in the passage? Well, it's interesting, and in fact, it's unique, that at the end of the story in the book of Acts, there's a speech, but it's not by Peter, and it's not by Paul. It's by a non-believer, the city clerk. But I think Luke leaves that in this account because what he says actually exposes the powerlessness of these idols. How so? Well, think about it like this. The Ephesians are furious. They're saying that Paul's gospel is threatening their idols. And they put their hope in these idols to make them happy, to keep them secure, to give them a prosperous society, a good life. But what the city clerk essentially points out, it is actually Paul's gospel is not threatening any of those things. What's threatening those things is the riotous acts that their idols have pushed them towards. Do you get that? Paul's gospel isn't attacking their peace and prosperity. See, in these days, what would happen if a city rioted is that the government of Rome eventually would impose martial law on that city to keep the peace. They would take away all the freedoms, all the privileges of the citizens of that city. That's what was threatening them. Their own riot, their own desperation to worship these idols is what was pushing them towards martial law and their freedoms and their rights and their privileges being taken away. Friends, idols ultimately don't deliver on what they promise. They take you down a road to nothing, to disappointment. They never deliver on their promises. This is the way the Bible has always described idols. Listen to this passage in Jeremiah 10. It says, for the practices of the people are worthless. They cut out a tree from the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do you no harm, nor can they do you any good. The emptiness of idols. How many of you um, guys recognize this actor on the screen? A little bit, little bit dated. Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber. The Mask, absolutely. He's an incredibly successful actor, right? Global, global, Golden Globe nominations, incredibly rich, famous. He was one guy who spoke really openly about the fact that the idols of riches and fame, in the end, don't satisfy. In fact, this guy, he seems like, you know, just a funny guy, but he said some pretty profound things. He said, who would I be without all of this fame? Who would I be if I said things people didn't want to hear or if I defied their expectations of me? In other words, what if the job, what if the money, what if the success, what if that person that I've built my life upon was stripped away? Where would it leave me? Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Idols are confusing. They promise so much. They control us so much. At first, they seem to work pretty well. You enter into this contract. You've got to perform a certain way. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to get certain things. 
and they give you back what you want. But over time, they never satisfy. So we try harder to please them and give them all of our attention. But just like the passage with the Ephesians, what always happens is exactly what psychiatrist Jerry Santanova predicts. He says idols demand more and more and provide less and less until eventually they give you nothing and they demand everything. And this leads us to our last point. Not only are idols common and confusing, but they are costly. Idols ultimately destroy those who worship them. And they try to destroy anyone who opposes them. They are costly for those who cling to them, and it is costly to smash them. In our passage, opposing idols almost costs Paul his life. Guys, this is the type of crowd that kills. You know, we don't know exactly how this happened, but it seems like as the craftsmen are walking up the main street in Ephesus from the harbor towards the theater, they're just getting more and more followers. And eventually they enter into the main theater, which has now been excavated in the city of Ephesus. This is what it looks like. This theater can hold 25,000 people. Guys, this must have been terrifying for Paul and for his companions who were actually in the grip of the crowd. Opposing idols in the city and dealing with idols in our lives is costly because they have demonic power behind them and because our hearts cling to them so tightly. Friends, this is why we need to preach Paul's gospel that following Jesus is costly. It's true, we can't earn God's salvation. Paul writes back to the Ephesian church, and Ephesians 6, he says, by, sorry, Ephesians 2, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, it is not from yourselves. We can't earn God's salvation, but like Timo was saying, we have to make every effort. If we want to turn to Jesus, we have to turn from something else. You, you can't hold on to your idols and hold on to Jesus at the same time. Sometimes we, we say, hey, I, I, I'd love to get Jesus in there because, you know, he's kind of this insurance for life after death. But I, I can't take these other things away because if I'm honest, this is what I really need. This is what I'm really worshiping. This is what I know is going to make me feel okay. Guys, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the authentic gospel. The authentic gospel says that when Jesus enters the picture, every other idol must fall. Jesus entering your life is so displacing of everything else that you are worshiping that there should be no competition on the throne of your life in worshiping Him. He is a jealous God, and He doesn't tolerate competition. While we were praying um, this morning, I think Benisi prayed a prayer, and he said, God, we, we just ask that today would be like a light being switched on and idols being exposed in our hearts. And as he was praying that, I had this picture, this, this memory of just this weekend walking into our kitchen, switching on the lights. And there were, I kid you not, 12 to 15 cockroaches on top of our counter. Guys, I did not just switch off the light and say, okay, let me just go to bed. I went to war. I went to war. 
I went and I grabbed a roll of paper towel and I pursued those things into every nook and cranny of my kitchen until they were dead. Guys, that should be our response to idolatry in our hearts. When the light of God's Word and the light of His Spirit shines into our hearts and shows us that we are worshiping anything else, even good things, instead of Him, guys, that is time to go to war. It's not a joke. Those things will kill you. Those things are lies. Those things promise a lot and they deliver nothing at the end of their roads. And following Jesus is not a joke. It's not a game. It's a matter of life and death. And guys, I'm not saying that the answer to this is just to try harder. (laughs) You, You know the funny thing about idolatry? The answer is not trying to love idols less. The answer is actually loving God more. I'm not saying, hey, stop loving your wife so much because she's an idol. You know, stop, stop being passionate in your career. You know, love them less. No. Guys, I'm saying lift your eyes to something that is infinitely better than any of those things can promise you. Love God more. How do we do that? <laughs> How do we love God more? Well, I think it comes back to the truth of the gospel that Paul preached. I don't think there's any better way to love God more than to sit at the foot of the cross and look at what Jesus did for us. You know, Paul was in a bad situation in Ephesus. He, he writes, I think it's to the Corinthians, and says, I fought wild beasts in the city of Ephesus. And many commentators say he may have been referring to this crazy riot. His life was at risk. He was about to die crowd was shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians around him. Guys, Jesus was also surrounded by a crowd that was crazed, a crowd that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Paul escaped with his life from the opposition of these idols that wanted to destroy him. Jesus didn't escape death. Jesus died in our place for our idolatry. The Bible says that he, he demolished every other power and authority. That includes idols. He demolished them. Not only did he demolish them, he made a spectacle of them. He made a mockery of them. He exposed them for what they are. He took our shame for all the idolatry that we've been talking about. And he was shamed, hanging naked on a cross so that we can go free, so that we can be free from the grip of idols to worship the only one who is worthy of our lives, to worship the only one who will ever satisfy us, to worship the one who wants to do us good, who loves us. Guys, that's the only way to beat idolatry in our lives. It's the truth of the gospel. It's got to sink down into our hearts. We've got to look at what Jesus did on the cross, the price that he paid that we could never have paid. He took that beating so that we could live as free people, loving God, knowing God, worshiping God, and finding that he's the only thing who delivers on his promises. 
So guys, the idols are common. They're all around us. They're confusing. <laughs> they seem powerful, but at the end, they're powerless. And Jesus paid the ultimate cost to free us from them so that we can worship the God who deserves free place, first place in our lives.